uh, I, I do strongly believe that um, you know cars are, and it's not belief. You know, it's a fact that cars are just a, a, a atrociously inefficient way to move uh, human bodies in very dense city areas. You know, it's just a scientific fact. You, know, you don't need two tons of of metal to move a uh, seventy kilo um, uh, of, of human body. Um, you know, you, you can have the, the exact same efficiency uh, or the same effect with uh, very light vehicles that take, you know, a lot more, a lot less space, um, uh, that consume a lot, you know, a lot fewer resources. Um, as the cities make it easier um, to cycle and harder to drive cars or vans around, the, the unit economics of using those kind of transportation modes especially for logistics are going to become so you know so more so much more favorable because you see the capex is much lower and the cost of running it is much lower as well if on top of that it's faster then the switch could happen very quickly but then again that goes back to the infrastructure like the cities have a role in making that happen hello I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and this is the Consumer VC Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer innovation. If you're enjoying this show, also subscribe to my newsletter at theconsumervc.com, where you'll receive new episodes straight to your inbox and a weekly recap of all the consumer deals that are happening. If you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, hit that subscribe button if you're enjoying it. If it's on Apple and Podcasts, please also write us a review. Every review really helps. All content episodes are for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not investment advice. Our guest today is Martin Mignot, partner at Index Ventures. Index Ventures is a global firm that operates as one team across three offices, London, San Francisco, and New York City, and invests at all stages. Martin opened Index's office in New York a few years ago, and we discussed the massive consumer opportunity in New York that Index has tapped into the future of transportation and delivery, which Martin is really passionate about, and the differences Martin sees between European and American consumer markets. Without further ado, here's Martin. Martin, thank you so much for joining me here today. How are you? Very well. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you taking the time. So I know that you've um, you've invested a lot on Europe, and I know that Index started off as a European or is a majority European-based fund. You also now, you're based in New York. I know you do a lot of also work here in the US. What's the difference in your mind from a consumer market standpoint and maybe just from a venture capital startup standpoint between the US and and the European markets? Yeah, I mean, maybe just uh, uh, to go back first on what on how you described index so it, it is true we started in in europe started in geneva of all places uh, more than 25 years ago then opened office in london um and then you know 10 years ago an office in san francisco and then last year an office in new york so kind of every 10 years we kind of open open up a new office pretty much i, I don't know when the next where the next one will be you know it, it is still tbd um but we're quite deliberate when we open that when we open a new office and today we're very much uh, basically a transatlantic fund. So you know, we've got half of our team in the US, half of our team in Europe. Um, um, but we invest from the same fund um, across geographies, you know, and, and and with the same team. So we really work as as one team across across the Atlantic. 
and and that's kind of what the move uh, to go to New York uh, was about. We you know, wanted to have one partner from London and one partner from San Francisco to make sure that New York would be that bridge and that place where both kind of continents can can meet. And that's a little bit how I see New York, like not, not as a fully uh, American city. And I don't know; it, it may be blasphemous to say that, but I don't I don't feel so much like. Well, I mean, technically, Manhattan is is an island, right? It, we're not quite on the on the on the American <laughs> continent. Right? So you know, it's it's closer to Iceland than uh, you know, kind of in, as in topography than as as from the uh, American continent. But you no, know, joke aside, you know, we do we do you know, at least personally, I do see New York as a bit of a hybrid uh, between between the two worlds. Uh, there's a huge immigrant community, obviously, you know, half of uh, of tech workers in New York are, are immigrants. Um, there's a very big European community. You know, I'm, I'm kind of uh, animating and, and organizing a, a community. We've got about 150 venture-backed European entrepreneurs based in New York or about to move here. Uh, so it's a very, you know, vibrant, very kind of global scene, uh, much more than a purely, purely American scene. Um, I find that's kind of that was the attraction for me, and and that's also the attraction for Index because that's very much what what we're what we're about. In terms of consumer markets, you know, to go back to your second question. Uh, I mean, the obvious thing, which is still kind of you know, really blowing my mind, is is the depth of the market um, is so different. You know, I think when when you invest in a lot of European consumer companies, uh, they have to have a kind of a multi-local approach where you know markets are very fragmented. Even though there is the eurozone, and you may be you know having the same currency, the consumer preference. Some of the payment methods may be different. Some of the regulations may, may still be different. Uh, the market structure will be different. You will have different set of incumbents, different you know types of uh, competing offering. And so you are always you know you start with one market and you are always thinking about okay where to go next. What's the most attractive market? And it takes time and effort. And if you add up all of these. Uh, individual markets together, you, you you get kind of roughly the same size as as the US, which you can you know kind of attack in in one go when you're here. So, the kind of growth rate that you can that you see here on the consumer side, there's just there's just pretty much no company uh, in Europe can can attract can reach those numbers simply because the the depth of these individual markets is just is just so much uh, so much less so than than in the US. Appreciate that. Appreciate you giving us a little bit about about the distinction. You know, New York City has always been global. You know, right? it's also always been an island, um, at, at, at least Manhattan. But why was last year the right time in Index's mind to open an office in New York? The first one is the the ecosystem has grown tremendously, um, and we've been investing in New York for a very long time. Actually, we were investors in the first investors in Datadog and. And then we were investors in Squarespace and in Etsy and in Cockroach and JustWorks. So a lot of, you know, New York has actually been one of our most successful geography uh, ever. Um, so it, it's not a new new area of focus. We just felt like the scale of it had, had become so significant that we had to have someone on the ground to, you know, meet these entrepreneurs first and in person and, and 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 really be be, be much closer. Um, so you know, and if you look, I think in, in Q1, the number of early stage deals financed in New York was roughly the same, or even slightly more than than in uh, than in San Francisco. So there, there's been a really, I mean, I think the ecosystem is still much, it's still smaller, but I think it, it's not that much smaller um, versus what, what what it was obviously kind of five or, or, or ten years ago. 
Um, the, the second aspect is what I was referring to on the uh, the diaspora. You know, we we a lot of our work, and we've published a couple of books about helping European entrepreneurs expand to the U.S. and helping U.S. entrepreneurs expand to Europe. I think uh, being kind of in the middle of of those two continents, um, you know, you you attract a lot of a lot of you know foreign entrepreneurs, and you also um, find. U.S. entrepreneurs who are very globally minded, uh, or and, and and typically have uh, a, a big focus on European expansion, which has been one of my surprises. You know, I I I, uh, I didn't really expect that part of our value proposition to resonate so much so early on. You know, but actually, especially in New York, you have folks who have usually very deep ties to Europe and understand that the European consumer market is, you know, taken as an aggregate, is a very large and very significant market. And also, you know, and similarly for, for software, you know, a lot of software companies will have 20 to 30% of their revenue at scale coming from Europe. So it's a, it's a very significant uh, market. And, and, and I think, you know, that, that position as a bridge is, is what's been extremely important, both for entrepreneurs and also, as, as I was pointing out, internally. You know, I think internally, I... Being in New York, I can be on a deal flow meeting, a European deal flow meeting in the morning, early, uh, too earlier than I would like to, arguably, but you know I, I can still do it, and and I can be on the on a on a US deal flow meeting in the afternoon and, and really have that kind of global view of of the market, which is impossible to have if you are either in London or, or San Francisco, um, and that's really kind of bringing that global team together. When you were surprised that as a value prop. For for U.S. companies that, um, of course, you know you have a lot of ties to Europe, and of course the firm's roots is in Europe. That European expansion would it be um, that it would it be where where were typically U.S. entrepreneurs when they were thinking about international expansion? What would be like the the first market outside the U.S. that they would typically go to? I mean, Lo- London. It, you know, obviously, it very varies widely depending on on. You know the type of go-to-market. You know if it's pure consumer, if it's you know if it's if it's SaaS or, or otherwise. But the, I mean, London was always the the you know the obvious bridge because of language, because of, of proximity. You know you have a lot of Americans who spend who have spent or are spending a lot of time in in London, um, maybe even having you know, family ties, and so so that's that's you know that, that's the, usually the, the first stop. It has been changing, you know, a little bit with uh, with Brexit, obviously. Um, you know, now, like if you are, let's say, uh, you know, selling a, a consumer a good, you know, uh, good product, well, the, the the eurozone is a much more attractive. It's a larger, um, it's a much larger and 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 wealthier to a large extent market than the UK market, and you can uh, address it much more easily from. Places like Amsterdam, you know, Amsterdam is a, is a, is a great city for you know for many reasons, um, tax, kind of distribution, logistics, um, and so that would be probably a, a, you know much more logical place to kind of, you know if you if you have a, a consumer product company, you know that's probably a much more logical place to 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 be uh, versus versus London. Uh, similarly, obviously, Ireland has been a very attractive place. You know, a lot of the uh, large U.S. software companies uh, have set up shop in, in Dublin, mostly for tax reasons in the first place, but now increasingly for talent because you know these uh, because now you have these headquarters and you have this talent both on the dev side, especially on the on the on the go to market side, and and you can you can you know hire really good talent there. Those are all 
um, really great points in terms of how like entrepreneurs are thinking about international expansion and why some markets might be better as a first market versus versus others. And I understand kind of the wrench too that Brexit has thrown into it um, when when thinking about these uh, these topics. I wanted to also ask you a bit about urban transportation and the future of urban transportation. I know that when I think about the future of urban tra- transportation, I think it's I, I immediately think of the Segway, right? And where Steve Jobs predicted the Segway would become as big of, as the PC and, you know, Jeff Bezos and a lot of tech titans were very, very excited by the launch and never really turned out that way. I think it actually was discontinued last year, even though I know that that some of the, the Segway technology was used in in scooters and, 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 and other um, and other transportation um, uh, um, applications. Um, and I know in... And I know in 2020, you said that next year you will see the first major European to ban private cars. Um, how are you thinking about today? First of all, did that actually happen? Did a major uh, um, European city, has they, have they banned private cars yet? And how are you thinking about the future of urban transportation? No, it hasn't happened quite yet. I mean, there are some smaller cities that have done it uh, on the larger scale. You know, Paris is in the process of banning most of the traffic from the central, the more central arrondissement, uh, which is the size of a, you know, it's probably a few hundred thousand inhabitants that are covered by by that. So that's a that's a first step. You know, they haven't expanded that to the entire, you know, the entirety of Paris, but I think it's just a matter it's just a matter of time. So, uh, so I was too optimistic, um, but but I think I'm still right, kind of dire- directionally. Which uh, I think happens f- fairly often, uh, unfortunately. And you know, as you know, in investing, it's all about timing. So uh, sometimes I tend to be a little bit, a little bit too early. Um, you know, this is the future of of, uh, of 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 cities for sure. You know, I think cars. <clears throat> and again, I mean, that's a topic that's very, very close to my to my heart. So you know, I'm talking here almost as a, as much as a as an activist, uh, as an investor. And, and actually that's, that's something that I've, that I've learned about and you know, it's try to dissociate your heart and your brain sometimes and, you know, and, and try to be more dispassionate when, when doing, uh, when making investments is, is, a, is a better way to make money. But as a, as an individual you know, re- really passionate about it, uh, I, I do strongly believe that, um, you know, cars are, and it's not belief, you know, it's a fact that cars are just, uh, uh, atrociously inefficient, way to move uh, human bodies in very dense city areas you know it's just a scientific fact you don't need two tons of of metal to move a 70 kilo um uh, of of human body um you know you you can have the, the exact same efficiency uh or the same effect with uh, very light vehicles that take you know a lot more a lot less space um, uh, that consume a lot, you know, a lot fewer resources, and and you know, in city space is everything. You know, when you know, you know, if you think about you know the, those dense big cities, the price of a square foot, and and you know, there is no no reason why we sh- we would we should optimize for the least efficient you know way of transport for, on a square square foot basis, right? So so I think it's just a matter of time that city fully realize that recognize it and reorganize around it and that space is made much more difficult and much scarcer for especially the individual cars so in terms of new technologies that are enabling that 
I think the the electric scooter is you know if, if you think about the the hierarchy um, of 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 transport, you know I think walking uh, is gonna you know is obviously the is always gonna remain the, the biggest the biggest one and and the one that we we should should promote more so by making it just more more pleasant and easier. Then in the electric scooter for very short distances, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes, um, you know, maybe uh, from from or to a transport station, you know, train station or bus station, you know, you can fold it, you can bring it into that, 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 mod, that you know, bigger mode of transport. Um, and then, you know, electric bikes and, you know, for slightly longer distances. And one I'm really passionate about is, is the electric cargo bikes. Both for you know, kind of to replace the family car. You know, I you know, I have a, I have a, like one of those long tail. And that's how we move around as a family. You know, I can put my two two kids and sometimes even my wife as well on it. You know, and 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 some folks have seen me. I also take some of my colleagues, you know, to meetings in in New York City, and that's that always makes a bit of an impression. It's a bit of a rite of passage if you, if you come to uh, the the Index New York office, you will have to be on my uh, on my long tail, uh, my turn GSD bike at some point. Um, <laughs> that's that's an activity people do um and then also for logistics you know i think replacing you know it's funny now that when you know, if, I, if i order um if i order amazon amazon fresh uh from you know the, the whole food marketplace for example the the the, the, the driver comes in a, in a cargo bike you know they have a they have a cargo bike and they have this huge platform with like you know packs of you know stacks of crates and that's how they do the delivery um, and that's just incredibly, you know, if, if efficient. And so I think the um, as the cities make it easier um, to cycle and harder to drive cars or vans around, the the unit economics of using those kind of transportation modes, especially for logistics, are going to become so you know so more so much more favorable. Because you see, the capex is much lower, and the cost of running it is much lower as well. If on top of that it's faster, then the switch could happen very quickly. But then again, that goes back to the infrastructure. Like the cities have a role in making that happen. No, those are. I mean, those are um, excellent points. Um, how thinking about you know unit economics too for different um, for different kind of modes of transportation um, within urban centers. Um, for example, like how do you think about when a type of um, like form factor, let's say like a scooter, for example, um, would work in terms of, in terms of, um, the actual city. Like, what are you kind of thinking about when it comes to maybe city density or not thinking about like bird, for example, which I know hasn't performed very, very well in the public markets. Um, and they pulled out, um, a number of markets, um, cause it didn't, it, it, it didn't make sense for them to be in. When you're thinking about investing in new types of companies, how do you think about where it actually could work in a, in, and and the type of city it, it could actually work, where actually those unit economics make sense. Yeah, look, I think my my uh, my experience investing in 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 transportation overall, you know, I, and I've invested across the board in everything from you know scooters to e-bikes to um, you know carpooling with blah blah car to car sharing with drivey, which has become kind of get around. To um, you know, train. You know, I was in the city company called uh, Captain Train, which became Trainline, which kind of went public. Um, it, it and overall, it hasn't been a great. You know, it's been a very big bag. You know, some fairly big successes, but a lot of a lot of failures. And the re- the reality is, um, there are two challenges. One is um, you're competing very often. Well, you know, first of all, you're competing very often with with heavily subsidized modes of transport 
whether that's public transport, uh, which is great, but also even you know private transport. So like you know the drivers of cars are not charged anywhere near what they cost to society, um, and so there is a there is a there is, you know a strong disincentive to make, moving to uh, another mode of transport. Um, and if you think about kind of thing like shared scooters, the reality, if you think about them, they're incredible. You know, it's an incredible feat where you have a private company that builds a pub, you know, shared meaning a public mode of transport, which allows anyone in the city to go from point A to point B on their own schedule without owning a vehicle. I mean, it's such a, you know, it's such a powerful value proposition for the individual, but also for the city. Um, and yet it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't re- require a, a single dime of, of kind of public money. It's quite the opposite. You know, they're actually charging these people to operate that way. Um, even though, you know, in any other mode of transportation would be subsidized for being so, so efficient. And so, so I think just the economics are, are really hard to make work on, on in the shared, shared world. And also you are obviously dealing with hardware and, and physical goods put in the public setting, which is always going to be a really hard, really hard proposition. So the reality, unfortunately, I think in, in that space is that the, the winners will be mostly the brand, the manufacturers, and there are some big winners. I mean, you know, e-scooters and e-bikes, you know, they're massive categories. And a lot of them, you know, will be unfortunately, you know, coming from China and Asia more, more broadly, you know, Taiwan's also a very big manufacturer of, of, of bikes and scooters. Um, and, and I think local, you know, the local, prov- you know, um, a service provider, as well as the local brands, you know, I, 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 I don't think we're going to see massive, massive outcomes, unfortunately. So uh, I, I do believe that, the, you know, the trend is growing. If you look at the, the, the sales number for, for e-bikes, e-scooters, cargo bikes is kind of through the roof. And that's not, you know, so as a consumer phenomenon, that's that's a win. I mean, that that's happening, and that's never going to come back. Um, as an investment area and and a way to generate outsized return, which is our model as as venture funds, it's it's by nature a fragmented, complex, um, you know, subsidized, public, regulated space, which is very difficult to make these outsized returns. Then, I really appreciate that. Um, especially what I really like about it is thinking about transportation. Um, as well, you have to think about uh, subsidized uh, transport. Um, so, in terms of what you're competing with when you actually do invest in, in in a transportation company, especially something that's so interesting as like a shared scooter, where you actually there's no ownership. Um, you you pay as you go as you on it, or it could be even like a shared bike or some type of different transportation. And also, I think as a consumer, what you don't take into account for. Um, as well as I'd imagine, you know, pricing is, is, is challenging because we're up against, you know, s- different options that are subsidized. You're also up to, up against, you know, um, someone driving you like a private car, like an Uber or a Lyft. And it might actually cost, you know, cheaper, but not maybe not as much cheaper as you thought it would be. And at the same time, you're, you know, in, in the backseat of a car. But um, but what isn't getting priced in in that side, as you said, was um was pollution was kind of all the all the environmental effects that you actually that you actually get in 
And so, and so, but as a, from a consumer's perspective, you may not be thinking about that. You might just be thinking, oh, well, you know, driving a bike or, or, or renting a bike or, you know, renting a scooter, it's a little cheaper, but really not that much cheaper than going to an Uber. I'm going to take the Uber, uh, um, as in going to, um, bike sharing. And then you factor into too, that you have to charge these things, right? How are you going to do that? And all the kind of, um, intensity that, that goes, that, that goes into that. So I can understand why. Obviously, it's a pretty tough model to make work and to make right um, because you have all these different factors, which I really appreciate you saying. And, you know, what I'm always curious about is that that's part of, you know, why venture capitalists invest in maybe these types of products and that they're hard. They're hard to build. They're hard to get right, especially when you're dealing with hardware and software component, right? How do you think from this point, do you think about the challenge of a business model and analyzing the business model? Um, and if the unit economics can actually get right at scale when you're looking at new opportunities. Yeah, I think what's what's changed, obviously, is um, the cost of capital. right? Uh, and that's the one factor. And especially in those type of businesses, which are very capital intensive, um, that's going to be a huge factor. That's why you, know, you look at some of these investments that were made in 2019, 2020, 2021, and you look at them today with the lens of, you know, uh, an interest rate at north of 5% versus negative interest rate, then obviously, you know, some of these investments don't, you know, they don't, they don't work anymore because you are relying on, uh, on access to a lot of equity. You may be relying on access to cheap, very cheap uh, debt and, and, uh, and, and um, you know, kind of capital investment uh, financing. Um, and, and, and then when those are not available, then obviously, you know, you, those types of models don't, don't work. Um, and so I think now, you know, the, the focus, uh, and, I, and I do believe this area of higher inflation and higher rates for longer is upon us. I don't think this, we're going to revert to negative or, or zero or negative interest rates like we, we had in Europe uh, anytime soon, you know, the, the Bank of England just, just uh, raised, you know, kept on, uh, just raised another half, half a percent. Um, and so, so I think we need to be, you know, to be prepared for that. I think entrepreneurs need to be prepared for that. I think for us as investors, that does mean that capital efficiency from the ground up is going to be an extremely, you know, is, is, is going to be a very, it's always an important factor, but, way more important when capital is capital is expensive and so if you look at the field of of transportation that means um you know either you know, pure software plays or um and or models with you know so either pure software so kind of you know, know fleet management or battery management or, or or plays with very strong network effects where you can drive and build liquidity without necessarily you know uh, or at least where you would have a really strong advantage at at large scale um and where you could finance that growth because you have very a lot of clarity around your growth margin and and your in the lifetime value of of uh, of of the of the customers you're you're acquiring um so i think it just it just brings brings a lot more discipline and and in in that field, there aren't many companies that you know kind of um, are, are obvious, obvious, obvious candidates on either of those dimensions right now. But um, but but it may change. How do you define? Because I know that you invest primarily, I believe, in seed. How do you how, how do you define seed today? 
Yeah, so we actually invest. So we do have a seed fund, uh, three hundred million dollar seed fund, which is it, you know it, it's true is where we spend a lot of our time and a lot of our activity because we want to invest as early as, as possible. And we we love you know we love being the first investor. We love working with the entrepreneurs in the early days when to really shape their vision and shape their team and shape their product. And and so we really enjoy that. But we also have a venture fund which is eight hundred million dollar, and we also have a growth fund of two billion. So we are really a multi stage fund. But our particularity is. It's the same team working across funds, and we always bring an early stage kind of lens on it. Even on growth, we always bring an early stage lens to it, and we really you know think about the upside much more than the being kind of precise and downside protection kind of kind of kind of mode. Um, you know, seed seed today. Like, what's interesting is you have a bit of a kind of tale of two markets where you have. Uh, the uh, where you have AI on on one hand, and then everything else on the on the other hand, uh, which have slightly you know, different uh, th- th- dynamics. Um, and and so um, you know, even though I think you know AI, interestingly, is actually not is very quickly not turning into a sector anymore, or a domain anymore, and it's just becoming you know, it's like saying, oh, I'm I'm a cloud company, or I'm a, I'm a mobile company. You know, that that doesn't everything is a cloud or a mobile company. I think very quickly we're turning into a world where AI is everything is an AI company. You know, you, you're just part of the stack that you build on, and that's you know that's you know that's part of the features that you can build and that you can offer to your customer. So I think that's even that classification is is gonna is almost already becoming redundant. Um, and so, um, but for these type of companies, um, what 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 we're seeing is for the right teams, and the right teams are typically not so much the uh the the, the ai researchers uh although that's that's a theme as well you know and they're, and they're all you know still companies focusing on on fundamental ai research um that are being funded you know most of the teams today are much more similar to um the more traditional team where uh you have entrepreneurs with uh very deep domain knowledge or, or a very unique insight about the category and, and 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 but also the ability to build product and having their team uh software engineers that know how to integrate the latest kind of cutting edge technology which today increasingly you know means means bringing you know the latest development in, in ai um in ai models uh and in the future may involve bringing you know the the apple vision pro and more you know more things around around kind of ar and, and vr and integrating those but i think we are We'll pass the stage, and so the, the the we're really trying to find these highly you know these highly user centric entrepreneurs who really start from the we're not like oh you know I've got this cool technology and I'm gonna use it for X, but go the other way around and start from I know this customer, I know this market, I know there is need, and actually it turns out that this new piece of technology is gonna help me solve that need. Um, in a way that wasn't possible, you know, a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, um, and and that's why it hasn't worked before. Because obviously, it will have been tried. Um, there's always that question. But then, you know, here is why. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, that should be you know, a very important sl- you know, slide in your deck, which is why has it failed before and why is it not going to fail this time around? Um, and so that's kind of what, what you know. Those are the the the, the entrepreneurs we are we, you know we're look, looking for. And and then in terms of the deal terms, it varies very widely based on you know the caliber of the team and how much they've proven 
but um, you know we typically see you know kind of you know, the, the, the typical seed today is going to be around five million um, and you know twenty twenty five and sometimes you know thirty valuation for the very very hot deals. I mean that's pretty much kind of the, the you know I would I would say you know YC kind of standard terms uh, these days. Okay, no, no, I I I appreciate um, uh, that's 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 great insight, great insight, and I mean how. How do you also operate just being a multi-stage fund? And every and, and there's not um, everyone seems kind of in terms of their stage like generalist per se in terms of they they interact with founders maybe as they um, as the companies grow and, and you kind of stay on with those companies. But how how do you think about uh, being a multi-stage fund and not being like a single-stage fund? And um, because also some of like the pushback maybe from founders that maybe don't want to partner with the multi-stage fund is um is if is if that fund ends up not following on what that actually could mean to the rest of the market and then maybe they're actually become stuck and not able to um uh not able to fundraise not able to grow so so overall how do you think about your overall pro rata strategy as well yeah it's it's a very valid kind of question and, and concern that we obviously hear all the time um and 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 i said there is some <clears throat> There's some truth to it, the, the, but in my experience, and I've been doing this for you know almost 14 years now, so I've I've, I've seen quite a few of those, um, and it's never really been a problem in 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 reality. You know, the problem typically you know is because you've got two scenarios, right? You're either doing well and you're a hot company, and then you know like we want to follow on, but the problem is more like everybody else wants to invest as well, and so you're in a in a pickle to pick someone, and you know there's a, there's a fight for location. Or you're not doing so well, and then we probably won't want to lead, but you know, many, not many people want to lead anywhere. Um, and actually, having someone like Index, you know, having our brand is a is a is a, is a huge you know is a huge positive. And I do think it's a net positive, even when you include the signaling risk, because every single piece of research on VC performance has proven. That you know, if you want to build an algorithm to pick the next best company, the single largest predictor, and you can read all of the uh, all the all of the the research and uh, the academic research on the topic. You know, if you if you were to pick only one criteria, what would it be? It would be who invested before, you know. And so all of these models and all of these growth funds, all of these algo funds are building. They're all based on one thing: like, okay, what did index and Sequoia and Axel and so on invest in at seed. You know that that's pretty much the algo. You know, I'm not sure you need an algo to do that, but um, that's that's usually the conclusion of these of these papers. And and so uh, this is actually which shows you, and everyone knows it. And so what all what with all of the growth funds, what they're doing, they are looking at okay, what are you know which seed companies have these folks invested in, and and they are going to be at the very top of the list versus you know versus not so you know already just having someone like us on your cap table very early on totally separates you from the rest of of the startup world and gives you a, a massive leg up and a massive advantage um in terms of you know getting getting um like you know graduating to series a and, and then above after that yes you know if you don't perform that's not going to solve you know that, that, that's not a silver bullet by any stretch of the imagination it's still bloody hard to you know go from C to series A to series B and series C. That's you know it's it's a struggle for for you know every single company. 
but I actually do think it gives you a big, a big, uh, a big leg up. How overall, when you think about when a, when a, um, a new kind of industry maybe or sector pops and you see, um, uh, the hype cycle kind of begin to, to happen, how are you assessing that market? This is the critical question in this industry because, you know, timing is everything, uh, interestingly. And, and we don't want to time the market because we're investing so far. But what are you, you know, you can see these trends and, and play them right is, is uh, you know, is, is just so, so important. Um, and then if you look at, you know, Carlota Perez's work on, you know, kind of the innovation uh, cycle, um, you know, I think what, what's what's tricky is that, you know, every disruptive innovation will create um, a phase of frenzy. You know, there is going to be a phase of frenzy um, that is going to happen. And, you know, you look at the, you know, the railroad story, um, you know, it was, it's a very good example of, of that. And, and, you know, and folks lost insane amount of money, you know, in, you know investing in railroads. Um and actually, it turned out railroads was a fantastic innovation and a long-lasting innovation. And you know, you, you know, we're still taking trains, and 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 it was real. You know, it was a real thing. It's just that um, you had this phase of frenzy, which kind of really helps to install and 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 um, and democratize and 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 industrialize uh, a piece of technology. Um, and so, you know, when you invest in that bubble, is is, is an important one. And but the the problem is the reverse isn't true. It's not because you have uh, a feeding frenzy uh, that it is going to be a disruptive innovation that is going to be long lasting. You know, so so very often people can mistake that frenzy for okay, oh there's a frenzy, so there's a hype cycle, so then there's going to be the the truth, and then and then the, the the truth, and then there's going to be a, a plateau uh, and then a maturation of the technology. You know, sometimes just you know. Sometimes you're in the tulip phenomenon where, you know, like tulips are great, but they are not disruptive technology. Um, and so, and they're beautiful, but that, that you know, you, that doesn't really, you know, unrelated to uh, the, the bubble frenzy that, that, that happened. And, and, you know, so that's why some, and that's why we always go back to the end user and the use case. And, and, you know, that's a North Star. And that's why we didn't do pretty much anything in crypto because we and we looked at it, you know, I, I, you know, we bought Bitcoin and and we had someone focused on looking at all of the crypto deals and like we, we did the work and you know we we studied in depth and we met a lot of companies and obviously that's that's what we're paid for, um and but our, we we couldn't find a lot of really interesting use cases with a lot of user adoption and and thing we we thought okay this is just this is you know, this is 10x cheaper, 10x faster, 10x more convenient. Um, and Bitcoin have some really interesting attributes. And I think that's, as a, as that's a disruptive technology that is going to have some some usage. But a lot of the companies build around and a lot of the derivatives of it, we didn't really, you know, we didn't really see see that. You know, we, I, I, you know, I was on the board of Revolut for, for many years and, we're, you know, we're seed investors in the company. And the whole point of oh, but you can transfer money in in an instant and for free. Well, you know, Revolut does that, you know, and Venmo does that, and Cash App does that, and you know, and Zelle does that, and you know, there are like you know, twenty up twenty ways to do that already. So that that if that's the value prop, that's not you know that doesn't that's not going to work, right? So it has to be more than that. Um, I think with um, 
you know, with, with AI, I think what's, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, actually we're organizing an event, you know, yesterday on that very topic of on, on the applied AI space. And really, you know, we brought together 50 people who are, you know, implementing AI in their organization. So startups, corporates, and sharing, you know, how they're using it, um, you know, what use cases, uh, what are the best practices? What are they seeing as as results in terms of you know? And that can be to increase revenue. It can be to reduce costs. It can be to improve the user experience. And the truth is, there's you know there, there are quite a few real use cases that are emerging and that people are are, are are actually deploying. How impactful those are is still is still early. You know, the reality is you know, in that group there was no one that said, well, we've done this and. You know, apart from, I guess, uh, developer productivity, you know, the co- especially the Copilot product, I think that's by far the most successful product out there that uses AI uh, of that new generation, where clearly everyone is pretty much using it and, and you know, and they are now kind of moving into kind of functional testing. And so that piece is today one of the only live example of, 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 a, of LLM use at, at scale and with real productivity impact for companies. Outside of that, it's there's some interesting early signals, but it's still a little bit early, you know, early to 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 say. Um, but I we we do be, you know we are seeing the fact we are seeing these use cases and we are seeing companies being interested in trying it out and deploying it and seeing some usage from their users give us quite a lot of confidence that there is you know this is a long lasting um, you know kind of technological shift. Having said that, that was my earlier point. You know, it's it is very quickly going to become part of the fa- fabric of of every you know every application and every service, and both for new startups, also for existing startups. You know, um, and so it's going to be very quickly. We're going to very quickly revert back to, yes, you need to build and invest in some infrastructure around it, but then at the end of the day, most of the investments will be around the application sphere, and. Exactly. And that's all going to be, again, to understanding, you know, it's going to be how well you understand your customers and how good you are devising a product and a solution that really solves their problem. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point. I was talking with, um, I had James Courier on the podcast um, and um, we did our episode, I think, all about AI. And he was saying the same thing when... Um, what he believes on the application side versus um, the infrastructure, because what he was saying is when it comes to the human eye, like as we get, you know, chat GPT four and, you know, five and six, when it comes to the human eye and the human mind, we're not eventually going to be able to tell the difference between as we get more and more and more advanced with the models and the models, and the models, at least we're going to be, we're going to get a point where like, this is kind of good enough, or this is what we, this is all we can kind of intake. And so, and like the open source version of that, even if it's not a hundred percent, you know, um, as per, uh, you know, a hundred percent perfect, if it's only 90% perfect, we might not even be able to tell on the infrastructure side, um, with that model. And so the op- the opportunity is not, you know, um, keep building the infrastructure. It's much more on the application later and what you can actually do with it. Yeah. And by the way, this is not even the future. It's already happening. You know, so we had, uh, we, we had, a, we had a chat uh you know with a very large uh cto of a very large one of the largest kind of tech companies not one of the fang but you know kind of just the, le- the the level down and 
you know, they, they are launching their kind of uh, chat assistant concierge service. And you know, when we ask them, okay, what, what are you using? What kind of infrastructure are you using? They're like, well, we're using a cloud provider service. And, and you know, they have uh, an LLM offering and it may not be the best one, but actually don't really care. It's just that, you know, it's it's part of the, you know, I'm, my all of my data is on the cloud. All of my instances run there. Um, you know, my entire setup is is built around their, you know, their technology and 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 their stack, and they have something that works well enough for what I want to do. Why would I start going around and you know and 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 and, and, and you know tinker with something else? Yeah, exactly. So, and and they're offering it as in, you know cost wise, they kind of bundle it with the with with the you know the overall cloud platform cost. So I don't even really see the the cost impact. Um, and which I thought was a really, you know, interesting, uh, you know, trend around kind of how quickly these seem to be commoditizing. Are there any trends that you still think maybe apart from AI? Um, because I mean, obviously the funny part about AI is that it's applicable to a lot of different categories, as you were saying, like, it's not just one type of category. Um, and that a lot of companies are going to even move into, um, into how to and, and and be thinking about how how they can be incorporating AI, but is there maybe a particular use case that you still think? Um, and this is maybe outside of of AI, or use case or category that you that you believe right now investors maybe don't know or are bearish on. Because as you said earlier, you know at the seed stage, at the early stages, you have to be so forward thinking about what's going to be in the future. Um, what is maybe like a particular category or or a use case that you're quite interested in right now that you don't see others being um, being as as focused on? It's a it's a very good question. I think the there's one area, and 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 here I bring more of a growth stage kind of lens on. But you know, I always try to look at market sizes, and and because that's how you know that's a very big indicator of the size. And you know, we have three billion that we're investing right now. So we are looking for the very big outcomes. And, you know, if you look at, so I always look at how do people actually spend money? What do they really spend money on? And the number one item obviously in the budget is housing, accommodation. And for younger people, it's rent. Um, and typically a second one, the close second is going to be around healthcare, especially in the US. Um, and so, and I still do think that these two areas have been left pretty much untouched, you know, where it's still, you know, you don't really have any kind of consumer grade experience on, on those two areas. So I've been looking and making a bunch of investment in the prop tech space, trying to find the right angle to capture some of that rent payment, trying to reduce it um, and, and or to improve the experience or, or, or just change that. It's not clear that it's an, you know, like, it's probably as much of a policy and again, it's a bit similar to transport where it's very obvious that it's the single biggest pain point for the young generation. I think that much is clear. Um, especially, you know, whenever you want to move to a large cities, which is where most of the interesting jobs are still, you know, this is like a massive tax on young people. Um, so in terms of size and acuity of the problem, that's as big as it gets. And yet, and so I am dreaming to find a company that that you know can solve that problem or at least mitigate it and make it better. 
Um, unfortunately, you know, it may be that this is a policy problem, like transport. It is a policy trend problem much more than a startup problem. And sometimes you have to, you know, put your hand up and say, well, that's, you know, entrepreneurs are very, you know, they are very creative. And, but at the end of the day, you know, some things are, are left to the state, you know, um, I think on the on on healthcare, you know, I think that's that's an area where I, I do, you know, especially in the US market, um, where you know consumers need, you know, could be offered much, much better um, you know, kind of much better experiences. And that's also one where I think AI has gonna have a big, big role to play. And when, you know, in terms of whether it's choosing, you know, whether it's, you know, tracking your health, whether it's choosing the right provider, whether it's paying for your health, whether it's being reimbursed, kind of dealing, choosing the right insurance plan. Um, I think that, that, that that's, there's, there's a lot of, um, it's very highly, there's a lot of complex processes, a lot of manual processes, a lot of opacity, a lot of information to, to ingest and sift through. I think those are all, areas where kind of AI and automation, you know, that's what they're best, best at, right? That's what they're best suited for. And we are seeing, um, uh, we're seeing some really interesting plays. And actually, interestingly, I think a lot of the consumer companies we see with the biggest traction um, right now, especially on the, you know, kind of marketplace model, especially, or or around healthcare uh, in the US, um, with numbers that we've rarely seen in in you know in in, in any kind of uh, other um, kind of consumer marketplaces before, so um, so I think that that's that's a very you know I don't think that's a contrarian view necessarily, but I think that's an area where we uh, where we see a, a lot of potential. That's that's really exciting. Uh, that's that's really exciting. It makes sense. It makes sense as to how you think about markets and why two of those markets that you don't, that you feel like there really hasn't been that much innovation on where it actually could be. Um, Martin, thank you so much for your time. I know we're a little bit over. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Really enjoyed it. And there you have it. It was a pleasure chatting with Martin. Martin, thanks again for coming on the pod. If you are enjoying this podcast, please hit subscribe if you're listening on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube. And if you're and if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please write us a review. Every review helps. And feel free to subscribe to the newsletter at theconsumerbc.com where you'll receive all new episodes straight to your inbox and a weekly recap of all the consumer deals that are happening. Thanks again for listening and until next time.